Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, happy December. We're coming off like two hours of podcasting already, so we may be a little <laughs> loopy in this one. Just slightly. Just slightly. And of course, we yeah, were all the cough syrup I drank. We were up last night during the US Gamer Slumber Party covering the Game Awards. Oh, God. And like, I did not finish until like midnight because uh, I think uh, Mike was like, uh, I said, How long is this show? It's like, Oh, I think it's about an hour. But poor Jeff Keeley, like, he is, this is obviously his child and he loves it very, very much. He, I had fun, but he wants us all to watch it, to, to love it as much as he it does. It means something. He just. He wouldn't let us go, like that episode of The Simpsons where, like, Krusty was so lonely he didn't want to leave The Simpsons' house and until, like, Melhouse started crying about how he wanted to go home. It does its best to honor games, but at the end of the day, it's still the show that gives equal time to, gives more time to trailers and actual award categories a lot of time. Yeah, uh, speaking of RPGs, it's like, and here's the RPG of the year. Uh, it's uh, Monster Hunter. Okay, see ya. It didn't even get, like, an award ceremony. It's just... No. Yeah, he went through, whatever. like, four major categories, and then was just like, okay, continuing onward. Like, he... Continuing he, he, another anti-vaping commercial. He brushed... Right, exactly. He brushed right past Monster Hunter World, or, and, like, the RPG yeah. category, one of the most major categories, in my humble opinion. But I gave, agree. like, tons of time to the freaking esports category. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's right that was certainly a thing you can tell where my biases lie by the way <laughs> no it is a little silly especially since it wasn't just rpgs he was like oh and by the way god of war won action adventure game too that's kind of an important category yeah i mean ultimately it's a good show and you can tell that it's becoming more and more of a thing like people actually care about it i went to a freaking pre-awards party i mean <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely less of a farce than when Spike had it. Oh, way less of a spar- farce. But uh, speaking of a farce, uh, let's talk about uh, this year, this episode, we're going to be talking about the year in RPGs for 2018. And man, it's just been another year of RPGs, and there is a whole lot to cover. But first, as usual, busy week over on US Gamer. I posted my Super Smash Brothers Ultimate review, or at least the first 20 hours of it, because I wasn't able to cover the online right away. Um, we, as I already mentioned, covered the Game Awards, and there was there were some interesting announcements in there, including Joker being in Super Smash Brothers. Are you excited about that, Nadia? Well, it's like uh, I was watching the Game Awards over on my computer because I was working through it, as you know, and uh, my husband was watching over here on the couch, and my feed was a little bit ahead of his. So I just I just started making these like sounds like a wounded animal, and I think he was probably wondering what the hell was going on, but he was watching the feed with, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with uh, Loading Ready Run. Nope. Uh, just basically a group of very clean-cut Canadian kids who do Desert Bus for Hope, and uh, one of the... Uh, woman who was like on that feed and commenting on the game awards is Kathleen, who's a who's a major Persona fan. So apparently she was making the same noises as I. Was. <laughs> so he had this negative feedback loop of squealing. Yeah, I was. I think I was slightly behind everybody because everybody suddenly starts going "Holy crap! Holy crap!" on our <laughs> Slack. That's always the best. So like, I mean, Persona Five pops up, and I'm like, an invitation. Oh man. Persona 5 Crimson is totally going to get announced on yeah, the Switch. Yeah, finally. Hooray. And, and then, but then I was like going, this doesn't seem like Persona, oh, Smash Brothers. Okay, that, oh, 
That's a good reveal. I was not expecting that. That kind of caught me off guard, and that's a good reveal right there. Yeah, as they say, that you never saw it coming. Everybody thinks that this is the prelude to Nintendo announcing that Persona 5, at least, is going to be coming to the Switch. Because, I mean, why would they be doing this otherwise? Yeah, I have a hard time believing that this, like, I'm, there's actually a rumor going around that uh, it is going to be coming, and it is going to be called Persona 5 Reloaded, which I think is bullshit. It should be the Crimson. And um, they're saying that supposedly we're going to hear about it when Joker comes to Smash officially, which is the first uh, character DLC pack. And I can't remember when that comes out. Man, I am so pumped for Joker to be on this. I mean, it's already a loaded roster, and that's just one more awesome character to be on there. God, he's going to be, lo- yeah, he's going to be able to use, like, well, obviously he has Arsene Lupin as his, uh, one of his um, uh, attacks. So I wonder if he can use, like, other personas or how that's going to work. Oh, yeah, he'll have his, um, I imagine that he'll have different personas for, like, his down B, forward B, up B, and, like, there will be a projectile persona, that kind of thing. And then he'll also yeah. be, like, his neutral B might be his gun. And oh, right, yeah. A would be, like, his sword. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so uh, that that's just how Specu- I imagine It's good it's speculation, going. though. Though, like, I mean, Sakurai tends to be a lot more interesting with his character designs than that, so we could have a very mechanically interesting character. We could, and uh, one thing that makes me excited for it is Nintendo puts so much work into using other people's characters in Smash. Like, mm. they're just so respectful of them. And, like, they did far more for Mega Man during his down years than Capcom did. They did a really good job of putting Cloud into Smash Brothers, and it's just a bummer that... Like, they did a phenomenal job of realizing the Midgar stage in there. And, mm-hmm. uh, like, it's a really fun stage with uh, the, the summons appearing in the background that you can get from the Materia. And Cloud himself is fun to play with, though he's pretty overpowered, actually. Yeah, he is. He's also a little bit too lightweight for me, but yeah. Yeah, well, he's, like, ridiculously overpowered for me. Like, I, whenever I'm playing as him, like... My friend, who I would say is better than me on a neutral field, or at least with his best characters, like, more or less can't touch me, which tells me that <laughs> Cloud is not... He is really overpowered. A little OP, yes. Um, the other game, I, I think the biggest news to come out of the Game Awards, and this, it was a big RPG-related thing, and we covered it already, uh, was The Outer Worlds, which is Obsidian's first really big rpg Mm -hmm. in several years uh pillars of eternity and everything is great i have a ton of respect for them but they are going for a very hardcore audience this is obsidian kind of shooting for the moon and i think everybody's a little surprised that it's not going to be an xbox one exclusive but also that's good because it's going to hit the widest possible audience and holy moly like there's so much to unpack here okay first of all it's being developed by like tim kane who like developed the original Fallout? That that is massive. That's yeah, that's huge. Not only um, I want to say not only Fallout, but uh, also Vampire: The Masquerade, um, which was on our top twenty-five RPG uh, countdown back when he was at Troika. Uh, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but I'm pretty sure that was uh, the case. Like he's responsible for some of the best RPGs ever made, and if anybody is going to be making a 3D Fallout game, you want them to be that, right? Yeah. And, I mean, everything about it just screams awesome. I mean, it's it's a good-looking game. It's very colorful and vibrant and lively. You're in a spaceship. It's like Firefly. I mean, it, but it's Fallout also in space. And all I could think yeah. was, oh, my God, this game's going to eat Starfield's lunch. 
Yeah, and, well, it's also that, and just like it made Obsidian look really good when when Bethesda is not looking very good at this all. This is like the perfect capper to Bethesda's absolutely hor- horrific year. I mean, yeah, Fallout seventy six really was just a catastrophe, and they had the personal data leak thing. And now Obsidian, Obsidian of all companies, comes out <laughs> and dunks on lunch. them. And dunks on, yes. Oh my god, oh. it's ridiculous. And, okay, like, maybe not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Maybe maybe it will bite off more than it can chew. It's hard to imagine Obsidian possible. having the, the firepower to really do this game justice. Um, for one thing, it already doesn't have romances. Which, ah, uh, no, no, having sex that's... with my companions—that sucks. What, what am I gonna yeah, do? Uh... It's a bummer. Uh, <laughs> Closing the book on this one now. And uh, no, 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 sex in space. And Obsidian games are notoriously buggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but so are Bethesda games. But so are Bethesda games. But uh, what was it? Especially Bethesda, but especially Obsidian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are peas in a pod. The funny thing is, like. There seems there's kind of a rivalry going on behind the scenes with Obsidian and Bethesda. Like Bethesda is like they don't like to talk about Fallout New Vegas because mm-hmm. they it seems to really annoy them that Fallout New Vegas <laughs> is considered the best uh of the three D Fallout games. Like that actually yeah. seems to be a sore point for them. And I have seen my share of eye rolling behind the scenes uh from Obsidian about uh Bethesda's RPGs. Like they'll they'll talk the Absolutely. talk and they'll say all the both sides will say nice things about one another, uh, you know, in public and they're like, yeah, we love Bethesda, blah blah blah, Fallout. Uh, we've had a great partnership over the years, but uh, go behind the scenes and there's some serious disrespect, especially for Fallout Four. Yeah, I'm sure that once the uh, the kind of the PR switch is turned off, it's just like rah, 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 oh rah, rah, rah. oh god, yes, no, I I've been there. Like I I listened <laughs> to it for myself, so that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> so this is Obsidian's chance to come out here and basically go, yeah, well now we've got guess what guys, we've got the big uh big first person RPG sandbox open world game with tons of amazing quests and things to do and freedom. And if they can pull this off, oh my god, like, this is pushing Obsidian to a new level as a developer. Like, if they can nail this, this is, like, mm-hmm. huge for them. This is putting them on CD Projekt Red-like level, right? That's true, that's true. And if CD Projekt Red pulled it off, then, I mean, I, I guess Obsidian could, too, Uh Although there's also the fact that, well, you had another example of a small team, Hello Games, taking on a very, very ambitious project. Mm. And well, they're bigger, than, eventually. they're bigger than Hello Games because they're like traditionally more. That's true. Hello Games is very small. And the thing that kind of gives me pause also is that a lot of the people who worked on Fallout New Vegas are gone. That's true. But at the same time, apparently Obsidian's been working on this game for quite a few years. And Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like. Everything about this game seems to be on the level. And, I mean, it's got an impeccable pedigree. And mm-hmm. it just became my most anticipated game of 2019. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see more or hear more at uh, E3. I'm guessing we will. I mean, I would say that's probably a given. Um, I really hope that Cyberpunk comes out next year. Because uh, if that's the case, and we've just got a incredible one-two punch of RPGs. Very scientific RPGs, too. <laughs> Very scientific RPGs. Okay, Nadia. <laughs> Science RPG, science fiction RPGs, at least. I meant science, <laughs> science fiction. I love I science. Love the idea. 
I love science. All those freaking spaceships going up to the freaking moon. We're going to breathe on the freaking surface. Anyway, go check out our coverage on US Gamer. And uh, the other thing, and this is just a small note, Mar- Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is back. And I mean, uh, this uh, goes all the way back to the X-Men Legends games on the PlayStation 2, I want to say. Um, basically overhead Diablo type uh, RPGs with superheroes. Um the last Marvel Ultimate Alliance wasn't super great, but I mean, hopefully this is good. It's being made by Team Ninja for some reason. Yeah, that was a little bit of a shocker, wasn't it? Yeah, very strange. So there you have it. The, the All the biggest news, Nadia, from the Game Awards was RPG related, which is not surprising because it's the best genre. Yeah, too bad I didn't get its own category. <laughs> what, a, what a shame. But we are going to give it its very own podcast, and Nadia... Let's talk about the year that was RPGs in the year of our Lord, 2018. So Nadia, as we look at all of the games that came out this year, so I'm looking at a list of RPGs that came out in 2018, and let's remember some games, okay? Yes. Uh, Monster Hunter World came out in January. I feel like it was so long ago and yet so close. Like, you know how that is. But yes, it, it did actually come out in January. It was a great game. It feels like Good 500 way to years ago based on the current it does, political cycle it? and everything else that's been happening. Yes. I mean, I, I there are some things that happened this year that I'm like, that happened this year? What? Exactly. <laughs> Nino Kuni 2, Revenant Kingdom, which was nominated oh, was for Best RPG. <laughs> I remember Katie and I were like, oh, my God, if this gets best RPG, I'm going to shit. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's all, that was like when uh, Detroit Become Human was nominated for best narrative. And we were just like, yeah. I forgot it got nominated. Like, Detroit, Detroit, Detroit. I'm pushing for you. Come on. Uh, Vampire, which uh, we didn't give a super great review to. Um, Kingdom yeah. Come Deliverance. Yay. Uh, it's like Fallout in the Eastern Europe. And yeah. yeah, well, we'll talk about we'll we'll get back to that one. Fallout seventy six. Fair to say that one didn't really live up to expectations. Uh, a little bit. Pillars of Eternity two, Dead Fire, which criminally underappreciated, did not sell well. Uh, that's the uh, dark side of Obsidian, I want to say. Yeah. Octopath Traveler, the darling of the summer. I really enjoyed that. Um, I know you weren't a huge fan, but I uh, I liked it I a lot. It was cool. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fine. Who am I thinking of then? Someone really didn't like it. But, um, <laughs> I didn't say I really disliked it. I, I think it's a cool game. Yeah, I, I know the, the format wasn't for everyone, but uh, it struck a chord with me, so I just uh, I just ate it right up. It was a good summer game. Valkyria Chronicles 4, which you were a big fan of. I actually, yeah, it took me a while to get into it, but once the story really gets going, it's uh, it goes pretty hard. And uh, the characters at first, I wasn't sure if I liked them, but... As the story went on, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I like him enough to stick with it. And I really like the squad stories. I think that was, those were a really great addition. I agree, actually. The squad stories were a really terrific addition. It's funny. I loved the original Valkyria Chronicles so much, but Valkyria Chronicles 4 just did not hit as hard for me. And I think it's just because it's not 2008 anymore. Yeah. Um, it's HD. Like, HD anime is not the incredible novelty that it was in the past. Right. And... I mean, it's not like the levels are poorly designed. Actually, I think they're well designed for the most part. 
Um, I just didn't have the patience to spend an hour and change on every mission for the most part. Like, so uh-huh. after a while, the review started to feel like a bit of a slog as I was just trying to get through the missions to get to the end. Yeah, I could see, like, see, to be fair, I was going at my own pace. I didn't have to review mm. the game, but you did. And I could see how it would be kind of a stressful ga- uh, game by the end because there are some, some of the last missions. Yeah, some of the last missions are real B-I-C-T-H, especially when you're up against the twins. Mm-hmm. And they're just, you can't shoot them. They they duck everything, and that's really frustrating. Actually, I was able to lead the twins right into my tank's guns. And, <laughs> and as they were trying to run past, like, they were just getting shot up. By uh, oh, by my machine geniuses. gun. That's the only way. Like uh, I, I had forgotten about that aspect of the original Valkyria Chronicles, and mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh crap, yeah. So you gotta basically lead them into a situation where they're getting crossfired by a whole lot of people while right. they're running. Because if you just shoot at them, then you're not gonna hit them, or else you have to hit them with like grenades or explosions or something. Oh, I should have done that. Shit, I'm an idiot. Yeah, no, you gotta use like your tanks artillery. Or grenades or something, because otherwise, like they will duck literally everything, even if it's a high chance of getting hit. Yeah, and that was another thing I really liked about the game is it kind of added uh, some more mechanics, like the uh, the grenadier, for example. Yeah, no, I thought it did a really good job of expanding upon the mechanics of the game mm-hmm. of the of the actual game of the Valkyria Chronicles. I, I thought that the addition of the grenadier was actually kind of realistic because, I mean, it has an artillery aspect, but it wasn't super overpowered because there was stuff that, like, yeah. hard countered. Uh, yes. Like, the it gave the Lancers a much better thing to do. Yeah, and um, you actually, we talked a little bit about this, but uh, you mentioned to me, you asked me once, like, what do you think the third game will be? Or the Valkyrie Chronicles 5, as it is. Like, what do you think, where do you think that will take place? And there actually are hints in the game, especially the squad stories, that it will take place in the quote-unquote Far East. Oh, so like Japan. Yeah, there's actually a character who you learn in the squad stories who's a spy for uh, the Far East. The Far East. It's such a World yeah, War II that's thing. That's what they literally call it. It is. <laughs> that was, like, reminds me of Fire Emblem, where it was a medieval game for so long, and then they introduced the Hoshidans or, like, samurai. Uh-huh. Yeah, they just want an excuse to introduce samurai and stuff. And it worked out well, but, I mean, it was just... I, I could see something similar with Val- Valkyria Chronicles. Here come more samurai. I, though, I mean, if Valkyria Chronicles is set in World War II, that introduces some uncommon, uh, th- uncomfortable themes, I think, for a, a Far East, quote-unquote, uh, type nation. Yeah, um, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but the, the kind of the end game for uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4 is like, oh, okay, I know what they're kind of doing a commentary on here. Uh, continuing on through the games that came out this year, the RPGs, Dark Souls Remastered, if you'll forget, remember that. It's weird how, like, that one, it feels a little bit like it passed under the radar, but maybe that's because, I mean, like, I everybody's think... played Dark Souls so much at this point. Yeah, and, I mean, I played quite a bit of it on PlayStation 4, because that was my first Dark Souls experience, and I really enjoyed it, but uh, I just kind of bounced after a while. Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I think I was being a little harsh on in our uh, our other conversation. <laughs> Yeah, you said it got steamrolled by RDR2, which well, I mean, it you're did. not totally wrong. Well, it did from yeah. like a popular standpoint, but I was exactly. being a little mean about the mechanics. I, I think it's fine. I just, I think it's more, I think it's still more action game Assassin's Creed than it is full-blooded RPG. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't say that it's as deep from a storytelling or mechanical standpoint as The Witcher, which it clearly wants to be. 
Yeah, and it's like Assassin's Creed is one of those series where I know it's like redeemed itself, and I actually really liked um, Syndicate. Mm. And uh, that was one that flew under everyone's radar, but I haven't played the series since, and I know it's really improved itself since, and uh, I have to kind of get back into that. Origins is much better, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, it probably is, but I could see with Syndicate they were like trying they were trying hard to start saying, okay, you know what, we're going to have better characters, so at least they started with that. Assassin's they Creed fans characters. are salty because uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey <clears throat> like pretty much pretty definitively signals that, yeah, they're going full Witcher with this series. And oh, to yeah. the point where they hired Mike Laidlaw, former lore master slash director slash producer slash designer of Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could end up being a really interesting RPG going forward. I think it doesn't help that I don't really care about ancient Greece and I'm looking for a better setting than that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I am I liked ancient Greece and mythology a lot when I was like younger. But uh, so I, I remember a lot of it and I, I have an interest in it through that. But it, it is kind of like overdone in video games. Unless you're doing like Kid Icarus and you just go completely freaking wild with it. That's awesome. I'm not sure which time period I would want them to be in at this point because they've done so many time periods. Um, mm-hmm. They've done ancient Egypt. They've done like they did uh, see the Industrial Revolution, the French Revolution and the American Revolution. They did um, and they did like Renaissance Italy. Right. And if they right. did the Middle Ages or that kind of thing, they would just be going back to what? Uh, f- medieval fantasy that kind of thing yeah so I would almost kind of like my first thought was it'd be kind of cool if they did this but with World War One, right or I don't know that I was time actually period. thinking like ancient Ireland or something that'd be ancient kind of Ireland the Gaelic yeah Gaelic the Gauls yeah. or is it the Gauls no no I don't know I think no wait the Gauls are where in France that's it yeah but yeah, the Gaelic people. Oh, that could be interesting. I, I was like going, well, I don't want them to do the same old, same old. They've always said that they'll only do Japan when they're really out of ideas or they're desperate. <laughs> That's the end of the road, Japan. Uh, there's been talk of like doing like Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Oh, that'd be interesting. It would be, but I've never cared about that kind of story, so... <laughs> If he puts an interesting spin on it, maybe, but... My housemate is a huge Romance of the Three Kingdoms fan, though, and he, like, he's told me some pretty wild stories from, like, that saga, so that could be interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Other games that came out this year, Bard's Tale 4, another game that flew under the radar, and we didn't cover that much, but it's from Brian Fargo. Um, I don't have much to say about Bard's Tale 4. I was kind of busy when it came out. Sorry. I'm really sorry about that. It's, I'm sure it's a very interesting game, and it's an interesting game, and it's a notable game, but I can't get to everything. Same, too, with Underworld Ascendant, which a lot of people have categorized as a disappointment, actually. Ouch. Like, I was reading some reviews of this one. Um, yeah, it's got, like, a 5 out of 10 on Steam, and it just doesn't seem to have landed uh. with people. That's too bad. Oh, it got one and a half stars on IGN and one star Ooh. on Eurogamer. Though, I don't know what one star means. It must be a void. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it means, like, pour acid on it and shove it out the door. I, I guess. Um, oh, it got an avoid from Eurogamer. Oh, uh, avoid the noid. Your underworld Ascendant is positively paranoid that you'll forget that it's an immersive sim. A crowdfunded successor to Looking Glass's landmark RPG Ultima Underworld, created with the input of Looking Glass veterans like Warren Spector, 
Its dialogue is full of allusions to the genre's ethos of player improvisation using flexible tools. And then it goes on to say, in any case, Ascendance, immersive sim premise doesn't really flatter it because it means you're actively looking for breakages and limitations you can take advantage of. And there are ever so many of them to find. It's certainly a game about experimentation in the sense that a lot of it doesn't work. That's a bummer because the original Underworld... Uh, Ultima Underworld was one of the initial kind of immersive sims, like play around with the environment. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it was a big deal in that regard. And it, it sounds like Underworld Ascendant didn't really work. I actually played Underworld Ascendant, I think at E3, and I wasn't impressed either. Um, I've heard. Yeah. It, go ahead. Oh, just that, did they say that was kickstarted? Yeah, uh, I said crowdfunded. Yeah. Uh, crowdfunded. It's always a little disappointing when something like that happens. You, you hear, oh, can I get a successor finally? And we're going to crowdfund it. It's going to be great. And then just kind of flops. Yeah. Uh, somebody who I talked to who did actually play Underworld Ascendant said that it initially is doing the immersive sim stuff and then it seems to lose confidence in that and then becomes more mm-hmm. of a straight up dungeon crawler. And neither of them work. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, the new World of Warcraft expansion came out, and I, I, I haven't talked to Mike about it since it came out. It sounds like it's a little, I want to say, controversial. Yeah, I know that when it came out, there was some controversy surrounding it, but I think I heard that Blizzard fixed what the problem was, and uh, since then, I haven't heard much about it, so either everyone forgot or they actually did fix it. The Banner Saga officially ended on a very depressing note. <laughs> It started on a depressing note. Yeah, Huron wrote, or Huron Cryer, our, our guides editor, wrote a really good review of it, and you should go check that out over on the site. Uh, and then I, I'm maybe the biggest RPG of the fall, which is kind of crazy to say, but Pokemon Let's Go. I I really really enjoyed Pokemon Let's Go, and it, it absolutely is not a hardcore Pokemon game, though I did still find it challenging, like the after game. And uh, I just like how cute and fun and immersive it is. That's, I don't know, it's funny how Pokemon seems to rescue us in our darkest hours sometimes. <laughs> funny how it seems to rescue us in our darkest hours. Well, let's talk about Pokemon Let's Go for a moment. Um, mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time getting into it, Nadia. Oh, that's too bad. How come? I think it's because it's just too kitty. It's so simple uh, that it's not really holding my attention. There's like no tension whatsoever i don't feel like there's a lot to build upon it's i've always said that i'm always trying to rush to get through the story which is an overblown tutorial but i mean in this case that's kind of all there is and yeah i know that Mm -hmm. you said that there's stuff to do afterward for sure like there's post-game content there's catching mewtwo there's challenging the master trainers and everything and maybe as i said in a late an earlier episode maybe that works but I just don't feel a lot of motivation to work to that point because it strips down a lot of the uh, mechanics from the the core games. And it's charming and cute, but really easy. Uh, Do you still kind of feel like the game that the series is good without the the random encounters, for example? Oh, yeah. I I actually like the catching a lot better in this one. But it also gives you XP when you catch stuff. And it's almost like, oh, okay, yeah, like it obviates a lot of the need for uh, grinding and that kind of thing. But uh-huh. it also makes me feel like I have to do no work. No, I, I can't really say. That. Maybe I'm just a, a Pokemon idiot, which is very, You're very not a possible. Pokemon idiot, Nadia. You're very smart. <laughs> well, it's just like, I don't know. I, I 
and I know I'm not the only one. I know Jason Wilson was agreeing with me on this one, but uh, there were times when I actually was like, oh, okay, this is actually a bit of a challenge. Like when? And uh, was it Route 13? That that horrible route with the, the damn picket fences. Like I, by the time that was done, I was like, oh God, that was, uh, I did I did not prepare for this or I just wasn't ready or I don't know what I did, but uh, I feel kind of dead. So there was that. I feel and, kind uh, of dead. The Pokemon Let's Go yeah. experience. <laughs> and uh, I still think that they really upped the challenge on on Mewtwo by not letting you just, you know, lob a Master Ball at him from the start. Yes, I agree with you on all of that front. I think, though, that it is move. It, it is an example of uh, Pokemon moving away a little bit from its hardcore RPG roots. And make no mistake, Pokemon is a ho- hardcore RPG at its heart. That's why I've played it for so many years and why mm-hmm. it has a tournament scene and why people care about it so much because... It has a hardcore fan base who keep it uh, interest going even during the lean times. Like you get through the game, you go, wow, that was a really cool game. I really enjoyed it. Oh my God, there's this massive hardcore community all around the world who are really, really into it. And now there's an entirely mm-hmm. new dimension of this game that I didn't even realize. And that was me with uh, Pokemon for sure. And I don't know if there's anything like that to go to in Pokemon Let's Go. Like, I can't imagine probably a reason not. to, like, really get up to level 100 in this game. No, you're probably right about that, unless you, like, really want to for some reason. Like, I don't even think challenging the Masters requires that kind of dedication. Nah. But uh, it is definitely Fisher-Price Pokemon. <laughs> um, but not in a bad way. Uh, I It very much does make me look forward to, to Generation 8. And I think both of us can agree that um, getting furiously angry over the game like some people have is, is just not the way to go. Oh, I mean, who is is furiously angry about this game? Uh, You'll find um, there was a note, there was a story on, I think it was Nintendo Life, about how uh, they're talking about um, putting Go elements into other Pokemon games, Mm. possibly. And, uh, but they didn't really specify what, for all we know, that could just be like, oh, well, you can transfer Pokemon from Go to Pokemon whatever, and... You know, I, I could see that still being the case, but just people were, were just in the comments were just like banging like war drums, like Pokemon is ruined. The casuals have ruined it. This is terrible. If you like this game, you know, that means you're, you, you've ruined Pokemon. Thanks so much. And, uh, there was someone, I don't know if you, you saw the comment someone left on my, on my story about saying how, oh, the after game is a lot of fun in Pokemon. Let's go. And someone's like, yeah, you're a pay, you're paid off for even saying that's true. Like. A paid-off reviewer, I think he called it. So we're seeing the real schism between the traditional Pokemon fans and perhaps the people who have embraced Pokemon Go and Pokemon Let's Go. Yeah, but I mean, like, Pokemon has been around for so long. People have been complaining about casuals since the beginning of time, practically, like, you know, like, since God, since the Game Boy Advance era, at least. Yeah, no, that's true. And I do think that Pokemon Go and uh, Pokemon, you know, the mainline Pokemon games can exist in peace and in fact can learn from one another. Like, like I said, I, (laughs) I think that random encounters should go away. And yeah, I totally agree. I think that Pokemon let's go was a proof of concept that a Pokemon game without random encounters can be still equally surprising and maintain Mm -hmm. that surprise factor while also getting rid of the, I mean, I'm sorry. Like I, 
I don't understand why people would like random encounters. Explain it to me. Explain it because <laughs> it's me. just a pain. <laughs> you're walking through no, a dungeon totally and you're like with every step you're like flinching because it might transition into a battle scene and then you have to go through a rote series of commands to get through it. Um, at its worst, yeah. you have to grind to get through it. And these are outdated mechanics. They are. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and and something you said earlier struck a chord with me because you said there are still surprises without random encounters. And you're absolutely right. Like I was uh, flying around on Charizard at some point and it's like, oh, I'm looking for Magikarp, some, some loser Pokemon. Like, holy crap, a Dragonite just appeared out of nowhere. It just, yeah, like having the enemies on the the field allows for much more dynamic and interesting things to deal with. And mm-hmm. I mean, tell me what a random encounter like adds to a game versus not having it. Like, is it just tradition or the only reason that you would have random encounters is to kind of making a, a battle of attrition where yeah. you are trying to get through a, a dungeon or whatever and you have a finite number of items and that kind of thing, and you keep end up getting into battles, and it's, I guess, hearkening back to Dungeons & Dragons a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a surprise factor to it, maybe, but for the most part, I don't think that's necessarily better than... Uh, like, I don't think that a rote battle of attrition and a grind is better than interesting dynamic tactical choices and deciding whether to make to engage in an encounter deciding whether not to engage an encounter mm-hmm. being able to have mm-hmm. enemies on the on the map screen who can do interesting things i just i don't like it and the best thing <laughs> no, sir, the best thing like ever was when i stepped into the long grass for the first time and i was like wait a minute ah oh, something's not going to jump out i don't have to wear repel all the time max repel all the time while uh, trying to push boulders. And, oh, look, there's an interesting Pokemon right over there. I can go and try and catch it. Oh, look, a Butterfree is going. I'm going to go and try and catch that. It made Pokemon at least 10% more interesting. I agree. And I'm really hoping, like, they really seize on that for Generation 8. Yeah, uh, I can hear uh, longtime Pokemon fans ripping their hair out. This is a controversial thing over on US Gamer. I have seen it. Some of our readers have said, no, cat, you are wrong. Uh, it's not outdated, and I get really mad when you say that. Well, come at me. <laughs> Tell me why it's not outdated. Tell me why random encounters are good. I want to know. Just tell me, okay? Tell me on the Twitter. Tell me on somewhere. But tell me why. The gauntlet has been thrown Tell down. me why out random encounters aren't a garbage mechanic that should be gone from everything forever. You had strong opinions about random encounters. Thank God, it's gone from most RPGs. I can't name any RPGs that still have random encounters. Pokemon was like one of the last holdouts. Yeah, uh, Octopath had them, which made me a little bit mad because uh, you could reduce them a bit, which was good. But uh, in my opinion, if you're going to have random encounters, if you absolutely must have them, then do like Bravely Default and let people turn them off when they want to. The best thing about Pokemon Let's Go is my... My friend bought it, and he's playing it with his three-year-old daughter, and he's now texting uh, to me about the experiences. Apparently, she is absolutely adoring it, as we would expect. She loves Pikachu. She's discovering the wonder of Pikachu for the very first time. Uh, She made friends with some kid in her class talking about how they both love Pikachu. 
Aww, uh, my heart. Her her favorite Pokemon is Magikarp. <laughs> Good for her. Um, she's very excited to show me her Pokemon the next time I come and visit. Aww. I mean, it is ridiculously cute. And like I always talked about how Pokemon is like RPGs for kids and then Pokemon Let's Go is RPGs literally for babies. Well, here we are. Like is yeah. for a baby. That's uh that is pretty much what Game Freak made it for, and so I can't fault them on that. And anyone who does is probably being like, okay, if you're gonna bitch about Pokemon not being hardcore enough, wait until Gen 8, please. Yeah. But like, you know, as a hardcore Pokemon fan, like I look at Pokemon Let's Go, it's cute, it's charming in so many ways, like that is almost enough to keep me going, but I'm not feeling a huge amount of motivation to be like, I gotta get through this, I love this so much, is is really like touching the part of me that wants like a really in-depth strategic experience, which Pokemon, Pokemon can, Pokemon, Pokemon can <laughs> do, and yes. it doesn't feel like Pokemon Let's Go has capacity for and so that's why, and I think, I think a lot of the hardcore Pokemon fans are afraid that this is going to end up being so successful and Pokemon Go is going to be so successful that it's going to in, end up infecting Gen 8 somehow. Um, I don't that know. I think Game Freak is a very Let's smart... Go got announced. Yeah, but then they said, oh, don't worry, Gen 8's coming out, which to me says, okay, they know what Pokemon Hardcore is versus, you know, what they have planned for Pokemon Go, so... They're, they're not a stupid company. They're a smart company. I don't know about that. Oh, okay. They're not a stupid company. But could you imagine a scenario where they see so much success from making Let's Go and Go po- uh, casual that they double down on making Gen 8 casual? I don't know if they have to do that. Pokemon has always, always been around. And I feel like Pokemon Go wasn't successful uh because it's you know it's an ar game it's it's successful because it's pokemon it's a social game and people yeah the people love pokemon yeah people love pokemon but they've also done a really good job of building up on it it's just fun to play with uh with your friends i mean Mm -hmm. like alameda like where i live is just pokemon go crazy i mean there are gyms everywhere Uh, um we had a pretty amazing moment the other night actually um there was a word hit on the Alameda Pokemon Go Discord that there was a perfect Eve Ivy Dratini like around oh. the block. And we all Ooh. bolted outside. And I kid you not, more than a dozen people were converging on the same location. Cars were pulling up. People were like, where's the perfect Dratini? <laughs> ah! <laughs> it was remarkable. I could not believe it. That's a lot of fun. And I'm glad that Go has been, like, improved so much that people are still finding, like, a lot of fun in it. I got to join a Discord server for something in my area. Oh, no, yeah, you totally should. It changes everything because then you can go do raids and stuff. You can do EX raids. Oh, it's so much fun. Of course, it's winter now, so people are going to be like, oh, I'm staying indoors. But then when you do that, then the freaking Team Instinct comes along to the neighborhood and just starts flipping gyms. And they're like, hey, hey, get out of my neighborhood. Team what are you Instinct doing here? And flip- what is it with them? <laughs> they're opportunists. They're like vultures. Yeah, like Valor and Mystic are like, grr, grr. And then suddenly Instinct just comes in. And you're like, why is everything yellow? Holy crap. <laughs> when did this happen? We were fighting amongst ourselves. It's like Hufflepuff. Like when the, po- when the Harry it Potter is- game inevitably comes out and everybody is like, Gryffindor and Slytherin and Gravenclaw, like Hufflepuff will unexpectedly take over everything and people are like, what's going on? 
How did this happen? Yeah, I really like Pokemon Go, and they got PvP coming out, and I wrote an article about yes. that over on the site. And I think the PvP really matches the ethos. It, it, it's not competitive, it's cooperative in its own weird way, because it doesn't matter who really wins, you both get rewards. Uh-huh. And I not part of me is like, that. ugh, gross, like, both of us get rewards? Come on. Like, what's the point if it's <laughs> not competitive? But the other part of me is like, that's nice, it's really, like, it's really relaxed, and we can just have a good time. So I, I think that's what the competitive set in Pokemon Gen 8 are afraid of. Right. Having right. fun. But, that's what uh, they're afraid of. <laughs> no fun, no cooperation, no nothing. Pokemon is war, Kat. For what is <laughs> Pokemon is war? <laughs> you heard Lieutenant Surge. <laughs> For what it's worth, uh, I think Pokemon Gen 8 is actually going to go the opposite direction and be the hardcore version. Oh, they're going to be like, okay, you bastards are scared to go. Well, let me show you something else. All of the hints that I've been hearing, uh, all of the teases and suggestions from the developers has suggested that they are going in a direction of pleasing hardcore fans with Gen 8. Like, get people in the gate with Let's Go and Go, and then show them the real game with Gen 8. Show them the, it's like the, that box from the, the Hellraiser series. We have such sites to show. I'm really interested to see where they end up going. I hope they end up picking somewhere bizarre like Canada. Oh, God, the, the game of the year right there is Canada. Yeah. I I hope that they don't pick somewhere really, like... I could see them picking, like, London. Yeah. Tom doesn't even like Pokemon. What's he going to get out <laughs> Pokemon of is a globetrotting game now. They've done Yeah, they've I, done I think Paris. that's really cool. They've done yeah. uh, a whole bunch of Japan, and they've done Hawaii, and they've done um, New York, kind of. America, kind America. of. America, yeah. So, I don't know. Canada. There you go. Yeah, and... I want to see, like, Canada, like, the cities, too. I don't just want to, like, be like, here, here's some mountains and some moose. There, you're in Canada now. Do Africa. Africa would be really cool. Africa could I'd be really see, cool, like... or it could be really cringeworthy. Yeah, that is true. If they stick to being like, hey, here's a savanna and, like, some really cool kind of flatland Pokemon, that'd be pretty awesome. I mean, done right, I think Pokemon in Africa could be fascinating. Like, they could yeah, have a lot of fun could. with the characters. Or Australia? Australia is very yeah. Australia is not a bad idea. Okay, let's stop talking about Pokemon and let's Aww. talk about. So okay, so this is we've kind of had an overview of the year and like some of the biggest games: Monster Hunter World, Nino Kuni Two, Pokemon Let's Go, Kingdom Come, Pillars of Eternity Two, Octopath Traveler, Valkyria Chronicles Four, Fallout Seventy Six. Like, what's your overall take on the year of twenty eighteen in RPGs? Uh, it was a good year. Uh, Strangely enough, I feel like even though it was a good solid year and there were some great games, um, shout out to Dragon Quest Eleven as well. Oh my god, I can't believe uh, I forgot about Dragon Quest Eleven. <laughs> you forgot about Dragon Quest Eleven, cat, but it kind of just shows how much I hate Dragon Quest Eleven. Yeah, we know you despise yeah, it. Yeah. I'm a hater. I am a You're big a hater. hater. No, keep going. Uh but I was gonna say my point still stands, and the point I'm making is um it was not a it was a year for very good RPGs, but not too many big surprises like Near Automata, the way it usurped just everyone last year and took us all by Persona surprise. 5. Like Persona Five as well, yes. That, um, that we was had a lot more surprises for the ages. That was that was great. Boom, boom. I I, I thought that was like just that made like 2017 one of my favorite gaming years ever, just for that because it was just the year that like Japanese RPGs didn't just like have to be in some strange niche sitting over in the corner. Like it, they just were in like. Seeing Persona 5 become part of, like, the mainstream, it's just like, wow, that's incredible. I think this was the year of Monster Hunter. And I say this because Monster Hunter World transformed the genre, the, fr the, the franchise, mm -hmm. from 
local favorite, regional favorite, to global favorite. It's yes. the best-selling Capcom game of all time. It won Best RPG yeah. at the Game Awards. It won over a ton of new fans, myself included. And I've seen Monster Hunter fans fetch about um, how it doesn't have as many monsters and like it drops a lot of the stuff that they like. Like hardcore fans are weird about all of the time wasty crap uh, that they have to do. It's like it's mm-hmm. nuance. It's not nuance. It's wasting your time. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the uh, the whole uh, random encounters have to be in Pokemon. Thing. Yes, it's uh, it's the crowd that sees streamlining as like really really bad. Like it's it's a uh-huh. dirty word. It's the worst possible word that you could possibly have. But for better or worse, Monster Hunter World streamlined the experience. And mm-hmm. we still got another Monster Hunter uh, Generations on uh, yeah. the 3D or 3DS Switch. No, it was on the Switch. It was a Switch. Yeah, and it was a remake of a 3DS. So game. hardcore Monster Hunter fans also got their game, and yeah. by and large, like even though it was, I mean, it was kind of the ultimate old school Monster Hunter game for in, in many ways. But Monster Hunter World, like, it is the game that made it brought Monster Hunter into the big time in my opinion. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, and I'm glad it did, because Capcom had been, God, they had been trying, and they finally struck gold. Yeah, well, I mean, turns out you put it on console, and you you have really top-level production values, and a decent, and nothing else is coming out around it, and people are going to be paying attention. (laughs) Yeah, they did. I think the key, though, like, just playing Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, if they had just done that, but put on the PS4 with pretty graphics, it wouldn't have cut it because I think it would have been too dense and people wouldn't have been able to get into it as easily. Whereas Monster Hunter World, by removing a lot of the barriers, removing a lot of mm-hmm. the busy work, they opened it up in a way that people could actually engage with it and have fun with it. It was still grindy as hell, especially like getting some a lot of the higher level stuff you're still finding the same monsters over and over again, trying to break tails and everything. But yeah, it, once you figured out the often wonky multiplayer mechanics, it was really fun. Yeah, and uh, as uh, I can't remember who said it, but uh, if you if you're ever in trouble, you fire a flare into the into the sky, and like three Japanese people come and help you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, uh, every time seeing a Japanese uh, username was always brilliant because I was like, oh, good, because they would walk in and just be like, bam, 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 and then the monster would be dead, and you'd be like. Whoa! <laughs> That's what I would do in Dark Souls as well. What, do you save people? No, it's in Dark Souls. Uh, in, invariably, I'll run into a boss, and the boss will like smash me into the ground. And so I will mm-hmm. call in uh, reinforcements in a game like Dark Souls, and somebody will come in. They will come in and like kill the boss in five or six hits, and then they'll bow to me and disappear. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I ended up getting to like level 30 in Monster Hunter World. I could complete the story. And the last time I was playing, I was fighting, I think they're called like basil gooses, basil juices or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I was fighting two of them at once. And I was like, I want to get Huron in here to help me out. I don't want to fight this this stuff alone, but I never got around to it, which is kind of sad. Like I ended up moving on, alas. Yeah, unfortunately that happens when you're in this industry. But during the Game Awards, they were teasing some big news for Monster Hunter fans. Yeah, uh, I would in a few days. I'm already anticipating Monster Hunter World Ultimate. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that or some 
new DLC. Yeah, it's just a Capcom way to release a updated version with like way more monsters, but it's essentially the same game. <laughs> yeah, that is the Capcom way trademark. That will be the real test to see if I'm like willing to get back into it because I put a lot of work into Monster Hunter World, and when I look back onto it, like I'm like, oh my god, I ground, I did so much grinding in that game, fighting the yeah. same monsters over and over and over again, and I don't know if I'm ready to do that again in Monster Hunter World Ultimate. We'll see. I would hope I would hope that they would let you keep your progress, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. Indeed, I'd say the other probably biggest year uh, RPG of the year is probably Octopath Traveler. Yeah, it uh, cleared a million uh, copies. Like that was I heard about that like ages ago. So it must have done even better since. Yeah, I mean Octopath Traveler, perfect storm, right? I mean it was on the Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch. It grabbed everybody's attention because it had kind of a unique and interesting um, uh, visual look to it. It wasn't your just typical top down, or it wasn't a yeah. It wasn't kind of an ugly like three D uh, RPG. Um, it wasn't, uh, what were they called? See, I can't even remember them. The one from RPG Factory. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh it's like, like Chrono yeah, Trigger? like, yeah, the I Am Setsuna. I Am and, Setsuna. Uh, Lost Sphere. It's not I Am Setsuna. Like, I, yeah. everybody was yeah. really prepared to love I Am Setsuna. And it was really hurt by its extremely low production values and relative simplicity. Where... Yeah, Octopath Traveler was kind of the opposite, right? I mean, big epic RPG with really like actually pretty solid production values, or at least the unique visual look covered up actually the somewhat low production values. Great soundtrack, and it grabbed it didn't grab some people, but a lot of people absolutely fell in love. Like one of my best friends loved Octopath Traveler. Like she fell head over heels for it like played every like character like soaked it in like it was her game and for a certain brand breed of classic jrpg fan that was it octopath traveler yeah um i it's actually funny my uh sister-in-law her brother messages me on facebook and says uh yeah i was looking up octopath traveler stuff and i found all your writing (laughs) (laughs) i'm like hey there you go yay i mean you ended up really liking octopath traveler it was kind of your game yeah, I really enjoyed it, and um, I don't know if you remember this, but when it crossed a million sold, uh, the artist for the series kind of hinted, we might hear something about Bravely Default again sometime oh, soon. Oh, man, that would be nice, because I really liked Bravely Default, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, I liked Octopath, I liked Bravely Default, uh, and uh, I think it's because also both those games, we shouldn't uh, go without mentioning, their battle systems are really interesting. I think Octopath had a great battle system. I think battle, Octopath Traveler did, in fact, have a good battle system for the most part. Uh, uh-huh. Charging up your characters, uh, having some pretty strong abilities and items. In some ways, it was relatively easy, but not too easy. And because you had so many characters, like, you could build up some interesting parties and that kind of thing and it was yeah. cool just uh picking your character traveling around the world it was a real throwback in many ways yeah and um i i know some people have criticized the way the the characters don't interact with each other but uh, i really like the stories for most of the individual characters uh, they really grew on me and for better or worse this is the year of fallout 76 <laughs> yeah uh yeah that was that's a game isn't it i mean we've already talked about it in the previous segment when we were talking about the outer worlds but 
I don't think it can be overstated, like, what a bad year it was for Bethesda. Like, it really was. And I'm thinking back to when I went to the preview event over at the Greenbrier, and I'm noticing, like, all this jank and, like, you know, stuttering and, and bugs and what have you. And Bethesda reassured us, oh, no, this is a, this is a totally old build we made just for this particular event. The, you know, we're way, we're way ahead on, on uh, correcting bugs and stuff over back home. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll take your word for it. And I did. <laughs> I mean, you got to take their word for it, right? What are you going to do? Uh, Call them a liar? Liar. Yeah. No, you suck. Liars. I guess with that Fallout 76, it was just a misbegotten project from the beginning. And it. my understanding was that it used to be a multiplayer mode that was intended for Fallout 4, but became oh. a game. And that's never, oh. that's never a great thing, necessarily. No. No, it isn't. And on one hand, I feel like, okay, they tried something new, but... It wasn't just a matter of, okay, they tried something new and didn't catch on. They they just bungled it at, at, at every step, like the, I just say, the data loss, uh, the pre-order, you know, scandals. It was just, uh, it did not go well Bag-gate. for them on any front. Bad gate. I, yes. I, on the one hand, I was rolling my eyes, like, at the outrage over it. On the other hand, I was also kind of like, so Beth- uh, Bethesda sent me, like, one of those power armor things, which, unbidden, I didn't really want it, I'm planning on getting rid of it at some point um <laughs> but it i went and checked and sure enough there was a crappy nylon bag in there and if you actually did spend x amount of money and you were expecting a good canvas bag like i would be yeah. like feeling a little annoyed that i got that crappy bag yeah and uh there was also controversy because yes they gave the people at the event uh a, a knapsack though it was a knapsack not a uh, not the bag that they advertised in the pre-order so some people were like, well, why did they get that? And we didn't get our thing. Yeah. I think people have been waiting to take their knives, to take the knives out with Bethesda for quite a while. <laughs> they have. Uh, there are like a lot of people who, to be fair, like, thank you. We have tolerated Bethesda's like glitches and, and stuff for way too long. But this goes way beyond like some goofy ass glitches. Well, I think that with Skyrim and Fallout 4 in particular, people have always been like, what? These games come out and look at all these insane glitches and they always get a free pass on them. Why do they always get a free pass? And I mean, in fairness, games like Wolfenstein are really good. So I mean, and Mm -hmm. Doom. So I don't know how you could call them all really glitchy. But yeah, no, like Skyrim and and Fallout uh, 4 definitely were glitch fests for the most part. But we tolerated them because, I mean, Skyrim was a wonderful, beautiful, watered down Morrowind that captured uh-huh. da- captured a lot of people <laughs> getting back to that streamlining thing and <laughs> yes uh and fallout 4 like it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way but ultimately a lot of people still liked it and i was one of them yeah 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 you loved it and uh, but i know some people who will like just you know spit on you if you mention it in their in their vicinity and yeah ultimately we were tolerating uh we were tolerating the bugs of fallout 4 uh because we got really interesting stories and some great companions exactly. and settlement building uh, and a cool world and that kind of thing. And it's kind of like if in Red Dead Redemption 2, you stripped out all of the story and all of the interesting characters and most of the encounters, and suddenly you're left with a a game with really bad controls. Yeah. Yeah. It, w- it would not be getting any Game of the Year awards. Sure would not. And without Fallout 76, that's what they did. They stripped out everything that people actually like about Fallout 
and in a misbegotten attempt to turn it into some kind of service game and mm-hmm. it really blew up in their face and man the, like they they must be really like wincing behind the scenes right now and yeah man wow and they they spent a lot of money marketing this thing i they clearly were like going okay it's gonna be one of the biggest games of the year and it was supposed to be one of the biggest games of the year it was supposed to be everybody yeah, was waiting but, uh, for it to be the biggest game of the year and it's the biggest flop of the year it's, it's the biggest disaster of the year is what it is and uh I'm actually really curious to see what they do for damage control in the coming months. I take no pleasure in this. I no, neither do I. I do not I. like, I like dunking on bad games and or expensive failures. But uh, it sure seems like Bethesda really made their own bed on this one, and they got a, a. I don't know what they can do with it, short of like completely remaking it. I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of quietly drop support for it, and then. But th- this is going to hurt them going forward. It is. People aren't going to forget about this, and you're absolutely right. I take no pleasure in it either. I mean, I've talked. I talked to a lot of the devs at the uh, at the event I was at, and you know, they're they're regular people. They're very oh, sure, proud of their sure. work, and they work very hard. And they're they've they're they were terrified of this kind of thing happening, like where it just all blows up in their face. So I think about them a lot. I wonder if they were going for something really experimental for the most part, and uh huh, and it just didn't work. Right. I mean, like they're going. Yeah. Well, like, couldn't you imagine in their pitch doc kind of something like, okay, the there will be no NPCs because other players will be the NPCs. Right. And yeah, your stories will come from the environmental storytelling and the other people. And you will go on adventures together. And there will be a single player aspect to satisfy the core fan base. But because one of our core pillars is not having NPCs, we'll make it kind of almost like a ghost story. Right. And on paper, I bet that sounded really good. Yeah. On paper, I was like, oh, you know what? I'll give that a try. Uh, it just, when I was at the event, though, it sounded like they do have plans for DLC, including I asked them, like, hey, is there a chance we could have a robot companion? And they were like, yeah, that's actually a really good idea. So Good job, Nadia. You helped them out. <laughs> If you see a robot, you can thank me. The core of Fallout is the really interesting stories that you get from the side quests and the vignettes. It's like an anthology of Twilight Zone stories. And you take that away completely in Fallout 76, and I just don't know how you salvage it. No, you're absolutely right when you say that nobody really goes to Fallout for the fantastic combat. (laughs) Certainly not. I I know I do. I, I know I don't, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then looking ahead, I mean, Starfield sounds like it's the next thing that Bethesda is going to be putting out. And when it's inevitably in- announced, I think people are going to be, it's going to be viewed through the con- through the lens of Fallout 76. Yeah, it absolutely will. So uh, they're definitely going to be, or if they know what's good for them, they're definitely going to be uh, stepping a little more carefully from now on. And meanwhile, they got the Outer Worlds nipping at them. Yeah, absolutely. A little competition never hurt. And of no course, one. in a year or so, we could all be going, man, the Outer Worlds, what a piece of crap that turned out to be. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> what a piece of trash. Well, that Why sure was buggy, that? wasn't it? <laughs> it? It didn't even work. It like kept crashing on me. But I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so. And I think, but yeah, you're right. This is like sports games, like, uh, like games like NBA 2K and FIFA need the competition to push them and push them hard to mm-hmm. put out their best work uh, to not settle. And I don't think they were yeah. settling. I don't think Bethesda was settling per se with Fallout 76, but perhaps they were a little too comfortable with bugs. Yeah. 
they're a little too confident that people will just buy it because it's Bethesda and it's Fallout, not necessarily thinking about why people buy Bethesda and Fallout games. So looking at the rest of the landscape of RPGs, uh, I mean, I feel like I've said my piece about Nino Kuni 2. I, I don't really have... It, it was a game that came out... <laughs> It was a game. We live in a society. We live in a society. Yeah, I mean, go back to my article where I was like, Nino Kuni 2 could have been so much more. I mean, it really could have been so it much more. It could have. I mean, maybe there's an argument to be made for it being like just kind of a pretty, very casual RPG. And if you don't think about the story too much, it can be fine. Um, The problem with that is, and this is something I think you brought up in one of your articles back in the day, was it has these moments where it absolutely wants you to think about its story. And you you can't help but think about it because there's a, a friggin' nuclear bomb blowing up in your face and your child's eyes are melting. Yeah. Oh, God. The, the dissonance there is so weird. Yeah. And that was, like, right at the end of the game. That was like, oh, f- here's what happened to that nuclear bomb in the last, like, 10 minutes of the game. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I, I don't want to defend Nino Kuni 2, but I think that there is a subset of people who maybe would go into it going, wow, this is really pretty. And like, I'm not too fussed about like how shallow the combat is. Like, it's like fun and relaxing and the characters are kind of fun and the the world is vibrant and it's like playing a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, I know. I see where you're coming from, but I just spent a whole bunch of time defending Pokemon Let's Go, which is a game that knows exactly what it is and what it wants to be. You know, Kuni 2 doesn't know what it wants to be. So what you're saying, it's a level 5 RPG then? More or less. I'm trying to think of the last <laughs> level RPG, level 5 RPG I played. Uh, Fantasy Life was pretty good. So we went through this entire discussion, Nadia, and uh-huh. we never even talked about Dragon Quest Eleven, but I think that's fine because I think we're going to wrap this up in the final episode of the year in which we pick our favorite RPGs of 2019. So we, yes. we're done recapping yes. it. We're going to have one final conversation about Dragon Quest XI as we finish things up. But in the meantime, I mean, that was the year in RPGs. What did you think of the RP- year in RPGs? Uh, did we? Were there any that we missed that you thought were really great? I'm sure that there are some Pillars of Eternity too, Deadfire, uh, aficionados in the audience. Perhaps uh, somebody wants to come out of the woodwork and... And defend Kingdom Come Deliverance to me. I mean, please do, I guess. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I think that it was a good year in RPGs, but I'm hoping next year is better. Uh, Yeah, as I said, it was a very solid year. It had some great games. It had actually some of my favorite games of the year. But uh, like I said, 2017's surprises, that really just jazzed me up. So hopefully we have good games next year and and some surprises. And I'll be covered. I think that's emblematic of uh, the year in general where, like, I'm going to look at this year and go, well, there's no, like, breakout. This this is the game, right? The, uh-huh. This game uh-huh. was the biggest game, the the most impressive game. Like, Monster Hunter World is is probably it, ultimately. Yeah. Um, maybe Octopath Traveler, perhaps Dragon Quest XI. I'm, you, can make your, you can make the case for that. Uh, but I think Fallout 76 was supposed to be the big one and it fell completely flat on his face and yeah, this year it, might it, be it defined by that. Oof. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. The, the year that, but, that Fallout 76 cratered. I mean, we'll talk about this next week, but there are already like at least four RPGs that for next year that I'm more excited about than anything that came out this year. Uh, Pokemon Gen 8, Fire Emblem, the new Fire Emblem. Uh-huh. 
um, yes, uh, The Outer Worlds and uh, potentially Cyberpunk. And if like those four yeah. games come out, oh my god, it'll be a good year. We're also looking at we might be looking at Shin Megami uh, Tensei oh, SMT4. Five, Shinmu Three, Five, sorry, Kingdom Hearts Three. Yep. Like it's almost like the the lull, right? The calm before the storm. Yes, the calm before the storm. So enjoy it while you can. Get in all that RDR too. We'll talk about that more next year. Okay, Nadia, last week we had a big conversation about whether or not Persona 4 or Persona 5 should be going on the Top 25 RPG Countdown. And lots of people, tons of people, 62 Mm -hmm. people uh, uh, at last count had very long opinions. So thank you for that. Um, The thing I find interesting about this, Nadia, the... The early voting went to Persona 4 and the late voting went to Persona 5. But in the end, Persona 4, I would say, got the preponderance of votes. Yes, uh, not just on uh, the comment section, but also on Twitter as well. There were people uh, contributing to that and people making their voices known on Facebook, just everywhere. People have things, people have opinions about Persona. They sure do. Um, it, I, I think the the common like thing is like it kind of mirrored our conversation in the last episode people who leaned Persona 4 talked up its characters and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And the people who leaned Persona 5 talked up its mechanical uh, improvements and the soundtrack. And they also really hated Yosuke and Teddy. <laughs> they really hated you. Yeah, and I can't exactly defend Yosuke or Teddy. Yeah. Although I did try. I, I did say, I did bring up a couple of points in my write-up, which you can you read this now, by the way, our final verdict between Persona 5 and Persona 4. Hint, it was Persona 4. Uh, but I did mention, I did feel for him at times, like, when he has this, like, this crush on his senpai, who just, he finds out, like, she just despises him and puts up with him. And it's just like, oh, that that actually hurt. I feel for you. I think emblematic of the conversation is, like, this email, or this comment by Sigizar. Persona 4 emphasized school life and connections and had a year-long murder mystery. While Persona 5 emphasized city life, and while it tried to be a heist movie in terms of social justice, it didn't emphasize your bond with the characters as much, not really utilizing their strengths as good as I would have hoped. Plus, you spend fourth of the school year in prison. I would give the edge to Persona 4, (laughs) even if Persona 5 had much better gameplay. Yeah, and uh, something I also pointed out in my piece, uh, to all credit to Atlas, like, is very clearly wanted Persona 5 and Persona 4 to be very different thematic-wise and uh, story-wise, and they are. But, um, and that is why, I guess, you don't have so many of the bonds in Persona 5, because you are a paroled student who has to make friends from scratch, because nobody likes or trusts you, and all of your friends you do make are, are very damaged in their own ways. Yeah. Um, and then, like, a mighty squall 958 says, as much as I f- love Persona 4 Golden, I found on revisiting the game with a more critical eye that the character writing is not as strong as I thought in first playthrough. Does Chie and Yosuke's relationship change that much? How about Kanji and Yukiko's? The characters do change, but it all stems through their growing trust in you and you only. In that way, I find, although I'm not a booster for 3, I think Persona 3 ultimately has the strongest character writing of the modern Personas. Is Persona 4 Golden an all-time classic? Yes! Persona 5? Perhaps. I'm very curious how time will treat 5 as a cultural time capsule that it is. And it really is. Like, a lot of people were talking mm-hmm. about how, like, Persona 5 really does kind of beat you over the head with its themes. And then 
Benjamin Linus 86, he, he is a Persona 5 defender, says, I know y'all are going to pick Persona 4, but I think Persona 5 is a strictly better game in basically every way. The dungeons are far better designed than the randomly generated nonsense of P4. The combat is a huge improvement. I can't go back to an SMT game without the Tom Pass anymore. And the customizability in demon recruiting and fusing is the best it's ever been. The story is only slightly stronger than P4, in contrast to the gameplay systems, which are way better. And it admittedly suffers from some mid-game slog, but it picks up back up for a strong finish. As for the soundtrack, it's music to start a goddamn revolution to. Listen to Rivers in the Desert and tell me you don't want to punch a fascist. Try me. I totally agree. I'm actually really looking forward to that. And uh, Life Will Change in uh, Smash. Oh, oh man, they are going to put Life uh, Life Will Change in Smash. I'm so happy. They are. So Uh, am I. I will say this for the Persona 5 soundtrack. I listen to it in its entirety regularly. So do I. I absolutely do when I'm working. I can't say that for uh, Persona 4. No, although Persona 4 has its moments. Mm. Like I I mentioned, the name of the soundtrack I was talking about last week was Memories that pops up in that... uh, that last dungeon, the bonus dungeon. That's a great song. But yeah, I, I give it to five easy. Yeah. So uh, the thing, my main takeaway from this is that people really freaking care about Persona 4 and Persona 5. Like this, these are two they teams do. that engender a r- ridiculous amount of passion. And I mean, certainly the series as a whole deserves to be on the top 25 RPG countdown. Yeah. Uh, I think we uh, made a good uh, decision, including at least one. That's for we sure. did well, Nadia. <laughs> We did. Hooray. We'll continue the top 25 RPG countdown in the new year. I mean, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to touch on the... We, we, we're not going to be able to do a coincide with the Suikoden 2 uh, anniversary that's happening this month. Ah. Spoiler oh, alert. Suikoden 2 is on this list. Yeah. Are you I'm surprised? Like I am I, so I surprised. Am like Were you surprised? I was surprised. But yeah. Uh, no, no. We're going to continue with the new year with the top 25 RPG countdown. Finish it up. It's been a yes. it's been a fun ride to this. Oh, <laughs> uh, next week, next week we are going to be, we got a big one for you. It's going to be like two and a half hours of us talking about all of the biggest games of the year. We got the entire team coming in, including the the UK side, um, Katie, Matt, Mike, uh, all of them. We're all gonna we're all gonna share our thoughts on all of the biggest games of the year, including some of the biggest RPGs. It'll be a special that we put on this feed. So, I mean, you're going to have a... The U.S. Gamer Christmas special. U.S. Gamer holiday special. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> uh, or whatever they say for Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah, 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 Hanukkah. <laughs> We're very inclusive okay. here on U.S. Uh, Axel We're very inclusive. Axel Blood God is the U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold, including Spotify, which Yay. is very exciting. Uh, subscribe to us, rate us. If you enjoy us, <laughs> drop us a line. Uh, you can follow me at on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. <laughs> follow us on Twitter. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. US Gamer on all of the social media channels, US Gamer Net. And uh, we'll be back next week. And if you have a, a nice thing to say to us, um, leave us a review. We really appreciate that. And uh, thanks for a really good year of Acts of the Blood God and listening to us ramble about RPGs. We we love each and every one of you. Got a couple more episodes and we'll wrap up another year of this podcast. Three years, Nadia. Wow. It's been it's been three good years. Three years? Four years? As they were coming up on year four in 2019. 
We're all getting older, but older and wiser. I can't wiser. believe that this show has been going on for four years. It's ridiculous. We're almost up to 200, episode 200. Hi. You know that? We're only 15 episodes away. Geez, already, yeah. huh? All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, happy adventuring. <laughs>